Hello, everybody. My name's Shane. And I'm Ken. And welcome to Gem Talk. Welcome to episode 123 of Gem Talk. Today we have a very special episode. Oh no, I hate these episodes. Where's the remote? Hold on. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But don't you need your moral lesson for the day? Look, I am the most moral person in the entire world and there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. Uh... (laughs) Changed my mind? (laughs) Oh jeez. That joke aside, um, yes... Today's episode of Steven Universe Future is called A Very Special Episode. Now, let's see how special it is. Yeah, the episode opens up with a close-up on two action figures uh, from the guys and gals toy line. Mm -hmm. There's the, I call him the mayor, because I looked for an official name and couldn't find one. Yeah. Who kind of looks like Rich Uncle Pennybags from the Monopoly series. Yeah, it's he's got like the top hat and he's just carrying a big and bag the of money. And all that, yeah. And he's just like wearing a three-piece suit and everything. And the uh, mayor guy is congratulating Explorer Gal for saving the city from Bandit Guy. Yay! From the voices we can tell that it's Rainbow 2.0 controlling Mayor Guy <laughs> and Onion controlling Explorer Gal because uh, her response is Yeah, it's very difficult to miss out on when Onion's speaking because literally only two, I guess, and a half if you count sour cream characters speak in that fashion and i'm pretty sure that yellowtail's not sitting on the floor playing uh dolls with rainbow although that would be quite a, a twist opening right <laughs> but yeah the the camera pans back and we can see it is clearly rainbow and onion sitting on the floor just kind of playing with the toys and um oh right one of the things that rainbow has mayor guy say is for your valiant el- efforts of helping the city we would like to present you with money and just like slides a dollar bill across the screen yeah like a life-size dollar bill i think it might actually be a real one yeah 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 which makes me wonder is rainbow like paying onion to behave himself (laughs) no no i I think it's just a convenient prop that they managed to have on hand (laughs) but as we get to look around onion's room uh we can see that it doesn't look like a whole lot has changed uh we can see his little snake terrarium is still there and about the only thing that is noticeably different is that uh he's got a bunch of like dirty dishes and kitchen equipment just littered around in the corners yeah i mean i think i looked at that pile and i most interesting thing i saw in there was something that looks like a stand mixer yeah there's nothing in there specifically that's like special it's just that for some reason onion has a lot he has a lot of weird stuff in his room i mean the fact that he's got kitchen equipment in there is like the least unusual thing in the concluding their little scene rainbow as the mayor guy says our city was a mess without you but now And as they look around at all of the clutter and gross stuff littered around, says, well, I suppose it still is a mess. (laughs) (laughs) So then Rainbow 2.0 says that this was fun, but now it's time to clean. Yeah. And he creates a rainbow 
between his hands. Yeah, and this could likely be a reference to several things, um, mm-hmm. but the first thing that I thought of when I saw this was the very infamous Spongebob imagination meme. Oh, yeah. Where he's, like, sitting in a box, and he's got his hands together, and as he, like, arcs one over his head to the other side of his body and says, imagination, a rainbow, like, arcs over his head. <laughs> right. And as someone who's uh, slightly older... It reminds me of the More You Know graphic that was like a star with like a rainbow coming out of the star. Yeah. In a lot of those sort of like PSA moments on TV. Yeah, which again, as we'll see, is very thematic to what this episode is about. And as that occurs, uh, Rainbow says it's time to tidy up. And Onion just kind of drools a piece of broccoli out of his mouth yeah a whole piece of broccoli well i mean he's had a whole piece of mouse in his mouth before so yeah i I know (laughs) i know i'm just one of those characters that is so off the wall and weird that you can literally get away with anything with this character yeah like literally any one thing can happen involving onion i mean he shot a harpoon he's uh, lived through a roller coaster exploding he has his own weird little like hutch room that you access by crawling through all ducks in the walls like yeah he's just a weird operated a flamethrower i mean yeah he's just a weird kid but (laughs) rainbow just tells onion not to be that way which is tantamount to just saying like onion stop being weird but we all know that's not gonna happen anytime soon no no you can't ask onion to stop being onion yeah that's that's just who he is he's got to be him from this angle in the room though we can see that there is some sort of weird i don't know what this is it looks like a large mechanical block with an acetylene torch or something affixed to it and there also looks like there's a tire so he's also got a bunch of like garage equipment yeah i don't know onion just becoming increasingly weird by the second uh (laughs) but anyway rainbow uses their umbrella to animate all of the guy and gal toys and they sort of like start marching along as they go on their way and rainbow begins singing a song called the tidying up song and this is all, again, very much obviously a reference to Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, because it's a pretty famous scene from uh, the Mary Poppins movie done by Disney mm-hmm. where she's trying to get the children to clean up their room and using her magical powers to cause stuff to just fly into the closet and just go where it's supposed to be and all that kind of stuff while singing the famous song, A Spoonful of Sugar. So uh, it's very similar. Yeah. And, you know, it always struck me as kind of funny that her goal was to try to get the kids to enjoy the prospect of cleaning up. But the only way that she could make it palatable was by using magic. Using magic. So it's almost mm-hmm. like saying, no, you're right. The only way this could possibly be enjoyable is if we magically make it enjoyable. Yeah, I remember as a kid feeling like, well, I can't just make all the toys fly into the chest. Yeah. Like- what? <laughs> like, I would totally have no problem with cleaning if I could just wave my hand and everything started putting itself away. Like, you, you don't seem to understand what the problem of cleaning up is. <laughs> <laughs> but Rainbow, uh, while cleaning and singing, and I, it should be said that this song, I think, is probably one of the least memorable songs in not only Steven Universe Future, but all of Steven Universe in general. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, it's cute, it has its purpose, but it's really short, and... 
it's just a song about cleaning. Like, there's no deeper meaning to it. It's not yeah. especially catchy. And towards the end of the song, before we get to the next beat in the story, like, the rhymes are just very forced. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the thing kind of ran out of steam, like, halfway through. Yeah, so it's cute. I understand it's supposed to just be another reference. And, you know, it serves its purpose. But this isn't going to be one that I'm going to be catching myself humming while I'm, like, cooking dinner or something. Yeah. So while uh, Rainbow is singing this song, he gives the parasol to Onion. Why one would ever do this, I do not know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we already know what happened with the replicator wand, right? Mm-hmm. Because Onion taps the umbrella to like a little toy car that's nearby and it just drives off. And he gets that look in his eye as he's staring at the umbrella where you just know that that little uh, oniony brain is ticking with plans of all of the trouble he could get into <laughs> with this thing. Yeah, he animates a couple of his other toys, but not for the purpose of having them go back where they're supposed to be, but just to have them animate. So, like, you know, a jack-in-the-box just starts bouncing up and down, and then there's, like, a like a Cupid doll with its head spinning in place, <laughs> which I which is, like, standard creepy. Yeah, it's got that, like, know? exorcist vibe to it. Yeah, and then there's, like, a rubber chicken just kind of, <laughs> like, bobbing there, like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and most notable, uh, he walks over to his dresser where he's got a collection of, like, toy darts, and... He causes them to hover over his head, almost like he's got them magically chambered around him, floating in the sky, and then launches them all directly at Rainbow, who ducks. And you might think, like, whoa, okay, Onion, like, I understand you're weird, but that's particularly aggressive, even for you. But as Rainbow turns around, they see that, oh, they just happen to be standing in the way of the dartboard at that moment. Yeah, yeah. And when he animates the darts... They kind of do this thing where they could go in like an arc over his head and then shoot forward. And I know I've seen that particular style on an attack before, like in other uh, shows or anime. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty common to have like um, magic, like fireballs or like icicle spears. I mean, it was in the Castlevania anime that I know that you watched where Mm, you have like the circle of icicle spears just hovering around her head in an arc and then one by one she launches them forward shoot forward yeah, yeah. and then as if they're in like a rail gun or a chamber they just kind of like sl- the next one slides into place and then gets fired out of the quote-unquote <laughs> barrel yeah yeah i just when when he did that with the darts i was like okay that's very much a reference to at least like video games and anime in general yeah i mean the thing it reminds me the most of and this is just because of personal experiences is uh in the video game dark souls if you play one of the mage classes uh one of the magic spells you get is called like crystal spheres and you get like five crystal glowing spheres that just kind of hover above your head in that arc pattern from like shoulder over to your other shoulder and then as soon as you get close to an enemy they just blast outward towards your target so okay. that's what it like it brings back to my mind it's countless hours of trolling through Dranglake and getting attacked by other players oh <laughs> but when the darts collide with the dartboard the dartboard falls off the wall and lands into a pile of dirty dishes mm-hmm. and this is around the point where in the song they start really getting forceful with the rhymes yeah <laughs> But uh, Rainbow tells Onion to, you know, next time wash his dishes. And using the parasol causes the dishes to go off screen. Now, I don't know if they floated their way all the way down to the kitchen or what. but I mean, probably. But they're gone now. Yeah. And one of the weirdest things in this entire episode is 
As the dishes clear away, Rainbow notices something behind Onion's bed, and behind one of the little leg posts, there's what looks like a homemade stuffed animal that's just kind of shyly waving from behind the post, which wouldn't be that big of a deal, except for the fact that it very, very distinctly is Steven. Yeah, and like a really creepy doll, like the button eyes kind of creep me out. So Yeah, it's like stitched together, obviously made out of like leftover or scavenged fabric, and it's all pied looking where it's like Frankenstein-esque stitched together where nothing matches. And it's got, yeah, the weird eyes, which immediately remind me of the movie Coraline, um, where all of the, like, quote-unquote evil parallels of the characters from the normal world have buttons for eyes. And, yeah, the whole thing is just weird and creepy, and obviously Rainbow's put off by it. And the only thing that really makes it all the much more freakier is that we never hear about this ever again. Yeah. Not in this episode, not in another episode, never are we ever shown again why this Steven doll exists. Onion must have made it, or or Vidalia must have made it for Onion or something, but it's never explained. (laughs) It's possible Vidalia made it because apparently if Onion really wants something and it's not immediately in front of him, he'll do whatever to to get to that thing because it's kind of what happened in earlier episodes involving Onion. So all I can think of is that in order to stop Onion from trashing the house every five minutes, (laughs) Vidalia had to make some kind of simulacrum (laughs) of Steven. Yeah, I guess Onion just, maybe he missed Steven so much, but Steven's been so busy with like little homeschool that he hasn't had time to play with Onion. So yeah, and normally it wouldn't be all that weird, you know, beyond the fact that the normal weirdness that accompanies someone having a doll version of you. Um, But because of just the latent magic that's in the room due to Rainbow, it animates the doll, making it seem all that much stranger. So at this moment, uh, Steven's phone starts to ring and uh, Rainbow unfuses back to Steven and Pearl. Yeah. Uh, so Steven can answer the phone and it's Garnet on the phone. Yeah. And I like the, uh, this is like a little joke here where Steven's icon, uh, like profile picture for Garnet in his phone is like a super close up of her face where it's like just the glasses and the mouth. And as he answers the phone, uh, it's a video call, and on screen is Garnet, but it's super close up to being just the glasses and the mouth, so it's almost a direct reference back to that picture. Right, right. Garnet tells Steven that he's forgotten about the Sunstone safety Geminar. First of all, yeah. Geminar. Geminar. (laughs) Uh. And then Steven's like, oh no, that was today? I, but I promised uh, Onion that Rainbow would play with him today, and oh no, you know, I'm double booked. Yeah, Oopsie. Steven, uh, as we start to see, and this be- pretty much becomes the point of this episode, has uh, really overdone himself in what he thinks he can handle, which is just part of Steven's personality, thinking he can take on much more than he actually, at least healthfully, should. Yeah, I can definitely understand that, but... Garnet says not to worry that she can handle the Geminar by explaining every possible future where they'll get hurt. And Steven's like, oh no, that's not a good idea. (laughs) And he'll be right over. Because Steven's probably remembering his first experience with Future Vision in the episode Future Vision, where uh, Garnet's explained all the various ways Steven might get hurt just coming home from the Big Donut. 
And he starts freaking out because everywhere he looks, it's like, oh no, this might kill me or that might kill me. And even though the scenarios are increasingly preposterous, like, you know, mutant bees that look like Beedrill, <laughs> like, killing him, he, he just can't deal with it because he's so afraid that everything's just going to hurt him. But <laughs> Steve is thinking about all that and he's like, oh no, these poor other gems are going to get so freaked out. So <laughs> he asks Pearl if she can hang out with Onion until he gets back. And Pearl's like, yeah, he's been a dream for Rainbow, so, you know, why why wouldn't he? Yeah, and as the scene cuts over to Onion, we see that he's putting together what looks like a ransom note or a kidnapping letter with, uh, like, each letter is cut from a different page from a magazine or a newspaper, and it says, mm-hmm. never leave, which is absolutely terrifying in and of itself, (laughs) but the fact that it's coming from Onion just makes it that much more concerning. Yeah. And and, uh, Pearl calls it a collage. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's doing a collage already. Not technically wrong. Yeah, but, (laughs) but, you know, not not, it's more the intention that's important here, not necessarily the action. Right, and for a moment this makes Steven think, oh, maybe I shouldn't, I should let Garnet handle her side of it. And then over the phone you hear Garnet say, Heaven Beetle? Earth Beetle? There's a future where you fall into the garbage disposal and nobody notices until it's too late. <laughs> and the Steve's like, ah! Yeah, nope, I really gotta go help them. <laughs> and so the Pearl's like, okay, take your time, we'll be fine here. Oh, wow, Onion, that's a beautiful bag of hair. Whose is it? It's probably Greg's. <laughs> yeah, that humongous, like, mane of hair that Greg uh, gave a viking-esque funeral to at the end of bluebird yeah and of course onion has it yeah you could just imagine onion swimming out in like the into the ocean and he just notices this bag of hair and just targets it personally swims all the way over to it and then drags it back into like the beach and then i imagine some scene where like the gems or steven or somebody they're doing something in the foreground and then the background you just see onion walking by dragging this massive bag of hair it's like twice his size (laughs) oh that's just so nasty yeah especially you know imagining that it's probably all matted and gross soaked with seawater yeah Uh, okay, that's, that's enough of that terrible image. Yeah, so <laughs> instead we jump to Steven's house where Garnet and some of the other gems, including the Heaven and Earth Beetle, uh, there's also one of the quartzes and a nephrite sitting in front of the TV. And Garnet explains to them that there's so many different methods inside of this house, you know, that you could get shattered. And yes, it's very much like you said, reminiscent of Future Vision, because they're all immediately terrified, like looking around, just waiting for the other shoe to drop and something to kill them. Yeah, and I know it's really being played up for its comedic effect, and Garnet does this again later in the episode, but one of the things that happened in the episode Future Vision was that Garnet was supposed to have learned a better way of explaining her power because of what it did to Steven. Mm Mm-hmm. So it seems like here, for the sake of a repeating joke, really, they're kind of rewinding that a bit and having her act more like she did back in season one for this episode. Well, old habits are hard to break, I imagine. So, you know, maybe just in this moment, Garnet is, you know, just trying to get the lesson across and in doing so doesn't realize that they're falling back on old habits. But 
Uh, they seem yeah. to at least be aware at this point that they're scaring them because she explicitly asks for Steven's help. Yeah. And in response, Steven says, let's get this Geminar started with a very special guest speaker. And they fuse into Sunstone. Now, two things here. Um, first of all, this is obviously a self-reference to the name of the title. Very special episode, a very special guest speaker. But uh, we should take a moment, probably, and just very briefly explain what the concept uh, overall of a very special episode is. You mean the public service announcement? Well, uh, a very special episode, quote-unquote, is a tropic term that got thrown around especially a lot in, uh, like, the late 70s, early 80s for sitcoms, because... Oftentimes sitcoms would just go through very comical or funny situations, you know, oh, I need to make money. Oh, let's set up like a lemonade stand. Oh, somehow it goes awry due to some crazy circumstance, but we all have a good laugh and maybe learn something in the end. I don't know exactly what caused it, but I know that one of the first examples was uh, a show called All in the Family, where they decided to have an episode where something very serious happened and in order to prepare the audience for the fact that this wasn't going to be your, you know, standard fare, this wasn't going to be a funny, haha, laugh it off kind of uh, moral this time, they would have the characters usually come on and, you know, in a fourth wall breaking way, they would just say, uh, we want you, the audience, to be aware that this is going to be a very special episode that touches on, you know, very important themes or very important events. So, you know, be sure to be in the right uh, mental space or whatever you want to say uh, before going into this. And that term uh, kind of became the moniker for when a show wanted to talk about something that was taboo or something that was like a social norm that was problematic in a effort to try and teach how to notice them uh, and prevent them from happening. Oh, okay. Um, so that is what a quote-unquote very special episode is. Um, now, obviously, in Steven Universe here, uh, they don't go much into the potential uh, unpleasantries of what those type of episodes are typically about, but they're more so referencing the way that the moral would kind of be tied up and blatantly told to the audience at the end. Yeah, yeah, which is something much more common in later shows, particularly children's shows. Yeah. Uh, we had quite a conversation about this recently. We were talking about how at the end of certain shows, they would just effectively summarize what happened in that show yeah. using uh, clips. Yeah, the normal formula would be the episode would play out as per normal, but either after the credits or right before the credits, the last 30 seconds of the show would be the main character stopping and directly addressing the audience saying, Hey, kids, today we had a lot of fun, but don't walk into traffic or you might get hit by a car. Always look both ways. That's the... <laughs> The moral of this episode, painted out in black and white. And, uh, I mean, some of the more infamous ones uh, are the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon from, like, the early 90s. It has been memed to, you know, the ends of the universe for how... It was how much of a tonal whiplash these messages would be. Because you would spend 11, 20, however long the episode was, minutes 
watching a bunch of silly cartoon animals engage in goofy hijinks, and then the last 30 seconds of the episode would be some really intense moral statement about trying to prevent you from getting hurt or dying. So just the amount of, like, total whiplash in and of itself was comedic, so it kind of drew away from the gravitas of the message. They got a little bit better later on, and um, the, the show that I actually remember having the most experience with that had one of these, like, very special messages at the end was uh, the Sailor Moon anime when it was mm-hmm. first airing in America back in, like, 98 or something or 97 because while each episode of that show normally had the moral baked into it you know don't worry too much about how you look don't worry too much about you know what other people think of you don't steal blah 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 they would end the episode with a 30 second clip show of sailor moon directly telling you know all the little good girls and boys back home very explicitly do not steal it's bad you don't want to be bad the end (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at least it got away from the tonal whiplash of, you know, it sounded like they were kind of summarizing what the episode was about, not just, oh, did you have fun watching goofy, silly animals for like half an hour? Okay, well, don't steal or you'll get arrested. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So, yeah, that's the origins of the PSA or the here's the moral of the story moment. Um, at the end of a lot of children's shows mm. from the era, done to try to convince parents that these shows have some kind of value to them, because there was a little bit of a backlash, especially in the 80s, about what these cartoon shows were about. Yeah. So, Sunstone begins to give the safety demonstration in uh, her very upbeat, you know, you can do this, everything's cool. I'm cool, you're cool, everybody's cool kind of uh, way. And the lessons that she's giving are pretty basic. You know, remove objects from the stairs. Cover the trash and all attract wild animals or magical lions. (laughs) Uh, Don't leave the water running or you'll flood the house, okay? Put protective covers on outlets, especially if there's children around. I mean, these are all things that if you're over a certain age, you probably know all this already anyway. Yeah. But you gotta make sure you turn off that motion smoothing. Yeah, motion smoothing is terrible. It'll Ooh. hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And Sunstone changes the motion smoothing, and then the Jasper is like, "Whoa, it's so much better." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as Sunstone is done giving their little safety Gemini, uh, Stephen gets a phone call, and so Sunstone says, "You guys hold tight while I take this call. In the meantime, check out this commercial, which." That line in and of itself is also almost directly lifted from like a children's television show Mm -hmm. or something where there's a problem and one of the main characters is like, well, I help them solve this problem. You guys check out these commercials. And then it would cut to a commercial for some toy. Yeah. Yeah. So again, another reference to what they're trying to parody here. And uh, what we see is that the commercial that comes on the TV is actually the commercial that Steven was filming for Little Homeschool in the previous episode. Yeah, kind of reusing a bit of the stuff that they had done in uh, Bluebird. Yeah, it also helps to paint out like a continuity showing that, oh, yeah. you know, oh, this thing that they were working on, here it is. So after they unfuse, um, Steven answers the phone and it's Pearl. She's a little bit stressed out. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, she seems like uh, maybe things aren't going quite as easily with Onion as she had suspected. Yeah, and she says that, you know, Onion is trashing the house, and she kind of turns the phone to show Onion, and he's standing there with an umbrella, beating up what I think was a coffee table. Yeah, and it's pretty obvious that he's either confused or frustrated about the fact that well, the, that other umbrella could make things like walk around and dance and come alive. Why can't this umbrella? And so when Pearl moves the camera, you can see that there's like a pile of all kinds of other broken stuff uh, until we like focus in on Onion. So I imagine that for each one of those things, Onion kind of systematically walked up to it, smacked it with the umbrella, and it didn't come to life. So he just moved up to the next thing and smacked that until now he's just torn like a, a cut through the house of all of these smashed objects. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness. And to think it's Pearl that's over there. Neat, tidy, everything has to be in its place, Pearl. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm remembering uh, when she made that pile of uh, perfectly stacked objects. Oh, uh, yeah. And then, uh, who was it? Amethyst puts, like, the stuffed animal on one side. Yeah. And Pearl just immediately stabs it. <laughs> yeah, she spears it. It's like, symmetrical means both sides must be the same. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I think that Pearl has at least um, grown enough since then to recognize that the more important thing to worry about here is that Onion's just going to keep breaking stuff unless we stop him. <laughs> yeah, so Steven says he'll be right there, leaves Garnet and the other gems to their own devices, and goes back over to Vidalia's house uh, to see Onion smashing a vase with the umbrella. Yep. So Steven and Pearl immediately fuse back into Rainbow 2.0 who picks up Onion and tells him he shouldn't hit things. Yes. So Onion's eyes start to droop, and Rainbow says that all that havoc must have made him sleepy. Uh, so <laughs> Rainbow sets him on the banister and uses the magical parasol to send him up the banister. Woo! <laughs> yeah, and uh, not only is this yet another reference to Mary Poppins, but uh, Rainbow is probably anticipating that Onion, upon getting to the top of the stairs, will just march off to bed because they say... Rest well, Onion, but we immediately hear the pitter-patter of Onion's feet trampling back <laughs> down the stairs, and he jumps back onto the bottom of the banister, looking expectantly at Rainbow, who begrudgingly sighs and waves the parasol again. Like, okay, one more time. Yep, <laughs> and sends them back up, and, and comes back, back down. down. And, and this goes on several times. Yep. A couple more times than I think is strictly necessary, but, you know, it's just become a new game for him. And I think maybe Onion's problem is that he's just bored with everything, and Rainbow gives him something interesting to experience. Well, I think that Onion is just somehow more chaotically capable than the rest of Beach City, minus the Crystal Gems, and so he is just unfazed by any of the normal goings-on of the world, but it's only the magical chaos of the, the gem world that can really entertain him. So anytime something magical happens, it immediately catches his attention, and he can't be torn away from it because mm. he was about to fall asleep. Until something magical started happening. And then, he, like, one of the scenes where it cuts back to him at the top of the stairs, he's, like, literally marching in place with how excited he is to Eyes get to do that open, again. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, Rainbow appears to be getting tired or, or bored with this because he sent Onion up the banister multiple times. <laughs> 
and just starts idly wondering how Garnet is doing. So we see the scene cut to Stephen walking up to the house. So I guess eventually Onion went to bed, but uh, Stephen walks inside, and as soon as he opens the door to the house, he's immediately met with the kitchen being a complete wreck, the water from the sink is flooding, Lion is eating out of the garbage, Stephen Jr. is on the kitchen table. Yay, Stephen Jr. (laughs) Yeah, like, I I appreciate the fact that there's a Stephen Jr. reference, we haven't seen him in like six seasons, but of all the things that they could have called back to... (laughs) Did they actually go back to where they found the Heaven Beetle originally and bring Steven Jr. to the house? Like, what? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, I'm ha- like I said, I'm happy to see the reference, but it's like, why? How? Whatever. So, everything that Sunstone just got done telling them to not do or do for safety's sake, they have done. Yeah, here. they've done the opposite yeah. of what they were told. <laughs> so, you know, aside from the water running in the sink... First of all, the refrigerator door is open, which is another thing that you were probably told a million times as a kid. Yeah. Uh, not to leave the refrigerator door open. There's caution tape and cones, and there's a mattress on the stairs. Like, what is going on here? Yeah, and Garnet explains that they had set up a home safety obstacle course, but then they got <laughs> distracted. Now, my question is, what does that even mean? What is a home safety obstacle course? The only thing I can think of is that you set up unsafe situations and then you challenge the student or the person who's running the course to recognize and rectify those situations. So I guess basically what we just did when we went through what was in the house is what you would want them to do with the obstacle course and be like, oh, close the refrigerator door, turn off the water, get the lion and the goat out of here, (laughs) you know, (laughs) etc. I mean, I guess, you know, maybe this is looking into it too much, but it seems that by going through that process of setting the house up to be unsafe in order to find out how to make it safe, you would be initially making it very unsafe to begin with. So like, you're, you're kind of defeating your purpose. Like, you don't, don't do that. Just learn preventative measures. Like this isn't something that you have to learn actively, Just learn what to look out for. No need to flood out the kitchen and cause all the the damage that comes with that if this weren't a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But to top it off, Steven looks at the TV and sees that they're using motion smoothing. Yeah, and he's so upset. He's like, motion smoothing? It's like, what? It's good for football. (laughs) That's it. Everybody out of the house. (laughs) Oh, so... We cut to a skate park uh, where Sunstone is leading everybody to the edge of a half pipe. And like they've all got their little skateboard and helmet. And uh, you can see here and you get uh, a better look at it later on that uh, the skate park is just so painfully 90s. Yeah. Uh, There's graffiti all over everything, but it's done in a way where, you know, everything is a motivational message. Everything's got that very 90s max to the extreme, super cool, like, style to it. And there's like a a hip-hop version of uh, Cookie Cat that has a speech bubble above it. But instead of saying some, like, I don't know, ironic statement or some anti-establishment quip. It says, there's no elevator for success. Yeah. And there's a spot where it says superstar, but the S at the beginning of superstar is in that classic, like, diamond-shaped S that everybody drew in their notebooks in the 90s. Yeah, so it it (laughs) takes all of the, like, stylistic cues of those, like, hyper overly dramatic cool trying to be that skater and or surfer like stereotype that was really popular in the 90s 
and infused with it all of the safety messages and moralistic sayings that Sunstone is partial to, to just really double down and amplify that this character is just a condensed concept of that era. Yeah. Sunstone says, you want to see something cool? And she skates down the half pipe, up the other side, does a trick, saying, the cool thing is, as she comes down the half pipe, flips completely upside down and lands straight on her head, <laughs> that I'm wearing a helmet. Uh. <laughs> so yeah, another moral from Sunstone about the safeties of helmets and, of course, all of the gems almost hypnotically in response, put their own helmets onto their heads and give like a thumbs up in response. And the fact that the gems seem to immediately and unquestioningly do what they're told or mimic what the other person is doing uh, becomes important a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. So we then cut to Sunstone and the other gems skating down a city street. And behind them, there's a store named Port Starboard, which I thought was kind of funny. But then I couldn't figure out whether that was a boating store, uh, like a, a skateboard supply kind of a store, which given the context here probably is. Yeah. But it's a great little nautical reference joke mm. in the background there. Yeah. But uh, they're skating down the sidewalk. Everything's great until they get to the corner and Sunstone stops all of a sudden because there's a car coming down the street. Mm -hmm. And then she proceeds to teach them about the safety of using crosswalk signals. Yeah, she says... You know what else is cool? Respect. Like respecting the traffic signal and like points to the big red stop sign on the corner. So mm. all of them, the Heaven and Earth Beetle, the Centipede, all of them, they just stand there and stare at the sign. They get off their skateboards and like pick them up. Yeah. You know, which is what you're supposed to do when you cross a crosswalk. Mm -hmm. I can't say how often I've actually seen that happen, but, <laughs> but that's technically what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get off the skateboard pick it up, carry it under your arm until you can cross the crosswalk and then continue skating down the road. Mm -hmm. But they're, yeah, they're just standing there. Yeah, for like... I'm standing there. Yeah, for like 10 seconds where it feels like nothing's going to happen. And we even have this silly little thing where Senna Beetle kind of looks back to Sunstone to make sure they're doing it right. And Sunstone's yeah. like, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm doing nothing very well. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually... The uh, light changes, and as it does, they continue across the street. Uh, everybody except for Sunstone, because their phone rings. And to answer it, Stephen and Garnet defuse. Uh, Stephen is looking increasingly more haggard, but uh, <laughs> Garnet, it's very funny. She As they defuse, she's like on the skateboard already. So she kind of just like skates out of the fusion into, like, a circle around Steven. Steven is really exhausted at this point. In fact, if you remember back to the movie, how exhausted he looked after the whole uh, Steg sequence, mm -hmm. it was very much like that. And it's like, oh boy, he really doesn't have very much energy left. Yeah. Like, I don't, the activity of doing the fusion is probably exhausting, but then constantly moving back and forth between where the Geminar's going on and Vidalia's house has also got to be pretty um, exhausting, so yeah. Yeah, and the phone call that he receives is Pearl again. And Steven, and this is one of the best parts of the entire episode, uh, pauses for a moment before answering and says, please, please have everything under control. And as he pushes the answer button, immediately Pearl's face bursts onto the screen, screaming, <laughs> It's Steven! Everything's, everything's out of control! control. <laughs> and then Steven just says, Yup. 
Uh, poor Steven. Because he do. Oh, yeah. Knew. Pearl Pearl can't handle onion. Nope. <laughs> uh, very few uh, people can. Yeah. Pearl is completely freaking out, and it looks like she's trapped in a horror movie at this point. Yeah. Uh, like, there's a very low angle. Everything around her is dark. She's, like, looking around cautiously, saying that everything's really weird here. And, like, Onion's acting super strange. You were never like this. You were such a good kid. You were nothing like this. And I can hear him. I, I can't see him, but I think he's in the walls. I think and he's I, in the walls. Yeah, and I don't know how to get him out. And this is just so prototypical of, like, a horror movie where the main character is trapped in a room and they think there's something there with them that's going to get them, but they can't see it and they can't find it, but they can hear it moving around. Yeah. I would say, under normal circumstances, it's just Onion. It's probably not that big of a deal, but, uh... Onion is way too unpredictable to ever say that he's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Steven looks at Garnet and asks if she can handle things. And she says, sure. And goes across the street and tells the gems, let me tell you all the ways you can get hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Steven's like, no, I'll stay. But then his phone rings again. And it's Pearl. There's a snake. Yeah. And this is... Probably a reference back to the fact that uh, in the episode Gemcation, Pearl got attacked by a snake uh, lovingly a referred boy. to as, yeah, a party boy. Yeah, and we know that Onion has a snake. Yeah, uh, so I guess Pearl has developed uh, a phobia of snakes now. Yeah, and then Steven's like, never mind. And we get a cut back to Vidalia's house. Now it's dark and everything is just creepy and quiet. Yeah, they do a really good job of making Onion's house, which we were just previously in and everything seemed fine, now appear like absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and you know, when you're in a situation that you know is being portrayed as terrifying and it gets really quiet, get ready. Because you're going to get jump scared. Yes. And <laughs> as Steven walks past the stairs towards the kitchen, Pearl bursts out from like behind the banister shouting, Steven, stop. It's not safe. And, you know, okay, thanks, Pearl. You're the one that just gave me a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. And she's just completely done. You know, she's just freaking out too much. Steven tries to tell her to calm down, but then... <laughs> A jar of mayonnaise just rolls down and around an arc on the carpet, leaving a trail of mayo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've mentioned before, mayo is our least favorite condiment. Yeah, mayo is disgusting. <laughs> but uh, Stephen, not wanting to be deterred, uh, kind of just continues to march towards the kitchen. And Pearl acts like he's marching off to some like heroic sacrifice or something. And she like falls <laughs> off of the banister trying to stop him. And then inevitably follows him into the kitchen. Yeah. Then we see two of them peer into the kitchen, which is dark uh, with, with some green tones. Mm -hmm. And it's a common thing to use green tones to enhance the unnaturalness of the scene. Yeah, because it's unusual or unnatural for any sort of like environment to have this very almost sickly pea green hue to it. So by adding that uh, color over the frame you can uh, evoke this sort of uneasy, sort of disgusted feeling that really helps drive the tone of a horror movie. Right. And as the camera pans from left to right around the kitchen, you, you can't quite tell exactly what's going on, but you can tell that things are messed up. And then there's this undefined dark mass 
on the right side that as you look up you see these glowing eyes and it's like you know the blob monster is in the kitchen or something (laughs) yeah and pearl noticing this immediately draws her weapon and is prepared to attack this monster but you can see steven who is completely done with absolutely everything at this point just flicks the light switch on and uh, pearl immediately is like oh and you see (laughs) that this towering blob monster is actually just onion sitting on top of a tower of kitchen things random objects. Yeah, that he yeah. amassed to get onto the countertop. Yes, because he's reaching for a cookie jar. And you can see the cookie jar. It's in the topmost shelf, probably put there by Vidalia to keep him away from it. And we see now that around the room are messages written in various condiments. We have uh, best friends for the number four ever, with a drawing of rainbow and onion together with the uh, umbrella, all written in mustard. Yeah. Oh, lovely. <laughs> oh. And then in the back is a large I heart rainbow written in ketchup. Mm-hmm. And Steven's cool too in mayo. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I think is funny is that onion has this like preternatural ability to do things uh, with a high level of effectiveness that. Someone of his age, I wouldn't imagine could. I would barely imagine that someone of Onion's age would be able to write coherent sentences at all, let alone all over the walls extremely neatly in mustard and ketchup. Yeah. Yeah, apparently in the dark, too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But uh, Stephen and Pearl gather from this that he must just really miss Rainbow. Oh, and cookies as he jumps from his tower with the cookie jar and Steven, you know, afraid that Onion's going to hurt himself, runs over to catch him. But Onion just kind of bounces off of Steven's big poofy hair and lands safely on the ground. Yeah. And then Pearl walks up and asks if he's going to share some of the cookies with her, which I find funny because Pearl doesn't like to eat anything. Yeah. (laughs) But Onion, of course, doesn't do anything like that. He just smashes the jar on the floor revealing cookies yeah and he goes to reach for the cookies among all the shards of the jar and pearl and steven simultaneously nope (laughs) this is another nope (laughs) yep and then they fuse once more into rainbow 2.0 and get onion away from the cookies yeah they do this uh cute little thing where they grab onion by like the scruff of his shirt or whatever and throw him over their head and catch him in their other hand on like one fell swoop Mm -hmm. Uh, which onion seems to appreciate (laughs) yeah and rainbow makes some really like corny jokes here the rainbow says like crack jokes not cookie jars as i always say yeah it's like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh he then uses the parasol to clean up the mess of the kitchen goes into like a spin with onion in his other hand and it's like you know spin so fast it's like a blur Mm -hmm. and at least part of the mess of the kitchen like the kitchen table and chairs are put back in order but we can assume that everything else just got magically cleaned up uh because man things like mustard and ketchup really stain. <laughs> yeah and i think actually if you look in the background the writing is still on the walls literally oh, okay. um so you know it's possible that everything didn't get cleaned but we already start to see that rainbow is getting kind of exhausted and uh, they even say that Onion is a handful 
literally. Yeah. Which is used as a comical beat because Onion is literally sitting in the palm of their hand. Mm-hmm. At this point, Rainbow, or maybe it's just Steven, I don't know, gets a great idea and they decide to fly off with Onion on the parasol. And so you see an outside shot of Onion's house, and then you just see this rainbow kind of like heading off into the distance. Yeah, and I'm not sure if this is supposed to be a reference to anything else. I'm sure that there's all kinds of old cartoons from the 80s that used rainbow, like, themology. Like, I'm sure... Something from, like, My Little Pony or one of those other, like, quote-unquote girl cartoons from the 80s. Care Bears comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably had characters that could, like, fly off in a trail of, like, instead of uh, air or stardust or whatever behind them was just just a rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. So, the next thing we see is Garnet continuing the safety Geminar outside in the field that's in front of the lighthouse. And she's got an easel set up. Um, I think it just says safety on it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she says, it's important to keep in mind that all these horrible things did happen to you in alternate timelines. Safety is fun. <laughs> yeah. I think the gems are getting a little bit more used to this because they're not quite as freaked out yeah. at this point. And I'm guessing that uh, the gems probably have a better either understanding or appreciation for the concept of multiverse theory where they're more readily able to accept the fact that okay, well, just because there are multiple timelines where, you know, some of which I die in doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen to me now. And they're just able to learn that lesson much faster than a human would. Yeah, yeah. It took the combination of two episodes, Future Vision and Pool Hopping, Mm -hmm. to get the complete picture of, you know, how Garnet operates. Yeah. So at this moment, Rainbow and Onion arrive and Rainbow says that he's feeling a little... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Very obviously, Steven, at least, is getting way too worn out from this. So uh, they drop Onion off, who kind of just runs over to the group of gems who are in the Geminar and they all seem to be introducing themselves or getting along or whatever. It's kind of just happening on the side. And as Pearl and Steven defuse, Garnet explains that Steven really should not have brought Onion here. Yeah, and nobody seems to pay any attention to this, but this is Garnet being Garnet. Mm. Like, he shouldn't have brought Onion here because now something bad's gonna happen. One of those pools connected. <laughs> But no, if anyone needs safety training, it's Onion. And Steven goes on to explain, I'm taking all of my responsibilities and combining them into one responsibility. And the way that he looks, like his face when he's explaining his process for this, is like almost kind of deranged. Where you can see that he's just so desperate to find a way to resolve that he accidentally overbooked himself, that it's having a negative, very negative effect on his psyche. Yeah, now there was one, like, microscopic moment where I thought that he meant this literally, and we might see what, like, a fusion between Steven and Garnet and Pearl. So basically, Obsidian minus Amethyst Mm. (laughs) would, would look like, because then maybe this character would be able to handle both things at the same time. Or ah. something. But like I said, it was like a microsecond. Because then I realized that this is Steven Universe future. And they're likely not going to introduce a completely new character at this point. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's more about tying things up than introducing new concepts. Yeah. But for a moment, I thought that would be kind of interesting. 
If only. But uh, Stephen goes on to explain that he's fine, he's fine, fine. And he just constantly repeats this, probably more likely trying to convince himself than anyone else. But in the foreground, while that's happening, we see Onion kind of innocuously pluck a blade of grass, put it between his fingers, and do that thing where you can make like a whistle noise by blowing between your fingers. Yeah, and the gems are completely entranced by this. Their eyes go wide. I mean, if it was Steven, they'd be star eyes. But yeah, <laughs> they are completely infatuated with this blade of grass whistle thing. And then we see that Steven is still protesting to the gems that he's fine, while Onion leads the gems away. Like the Pied Piper. Yes, and just a very uh, brief explanation, if you don't know what the Pied Piper was. Uh, it was just a German folklore about a individual who had the ability to uh, lead mice astray um, by playing on a flute. And he would just lead them out of the country and expected to get rewarded for it. And then when he wasn't rewarded uh, as he expected to be, he did the same thing to all of Germany's children instead. Yep. So, uh, you know, kind of kind of scary uh, story. But in this situation, Onion is leading all the gems away, uh, seemingly unintentionally. Like, he almost seems like he doesn't know that he's doing it. Yeah, I think Onion just does sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> he just goes. Yeah. But Steven and Garnet and Pearl realize what's going on and start to panic because they don't know what kind of trouble Onion's going to get the other gems in. And so we have a quick little montage where we see Onion running through uh, the beach and then the gems follow him. And then Steven and Garnet and Pearl follow after. And then we cut to Fish Do Pizza where Onion runs over top of Ronaldo's pizza. And then all of the gems trample over his pizza. All Ronaldo does in Steven Universe Future is be like, you know, a background character to which bad things happen. Yeah, yeah. He's the whipping boy, as it's called, where, you know... And if anything bad has to happen to somebody, or if anybody has to be the butt of a joke, we've already made Ronaldo out to be the, like, unpleasant character that people don't mind having bad things happen to, as long as they're not too bad. So, uh, we need something unfortunate to happen to somebody. Oh, just let it happen to Ronaldo. Yeah. <laughs> but the Crystal Gems continue to follow Onion and his posse, uh, until finally we see them running through the forest, up a cliff, and as they reach the precipice of this cliff... Onion, I'm assuming just getting bored with his whistle, tosses the blade of grass over the edge of the cliff, and then immediately, without skipping a beat, the gems that were following him just fly right off the edge of the cliff after it. Yeah, it's like what they were entranced by was the blade of grass, not the music, not Onion, but the, the blade of grass. And so, when Onion tosses it over the cliff, like like a bunch of lemmings or something, they just went whoop right over the cliff. Yeah, they just plunge right off and you could see that uh, onion obviously didn't mean for this to happen because as they tumble off the edge of the precipice he like covers his mouth with his hands and his eyes go all wide like oh no what happened yeah yeah so at least he has some like awareness of consequences <laughs> you know yeah onion suffers from seeming evil or seeming malicious but never actually being malicious right right so Garnet and Pearl and Steven are on like a far cliff because they're seeing this happen in the distance and they're like, oh no. And then Garnet says, Sunstone can save them and pulls Steven into the fusion. Mm -hmm. And then Pearl says, no, Rainbow can save them and pulls Steven out of Sunstone and into Rainbow Quartz 2.0. Now, 
This is the first time I've ever seen something like this. She grabbed onto one of the smaller arms of Sunstone and pulled Steven out of it. Like, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, inevitably, if your harmonies are strong enough, you could just... I, I mean, this falls all the way back on that really old conversation we had years ago about what exactly is required for a successful fusion. Right. Because... It used to be, oh, well, you had to dance. And then I was like, okay, well, you don't have to dance. The dancing just helps the characters get in sync. So if they're already on a similar harmony level, then maybe they don't need to dance. And then et cetera, et cetera, to the point yeah. where it's like, whatever. This is just an ability that these characters can just do whenever they want for whatever reason. And yeah, now we get the exposition of like, it's it's reached the ludicrous point of characters just being able to pull other characters out of one fusion and into another. Yeah, yeah. Even in this episode, in the beginning, Steven and Garnet actually do a fusion dance to produce Sunstone. Yeah. And that could have been just done for dramatic purposes, because they were introducing Sunstone to these other gems. Mm-hmm. So they did the whole dance routine, you know, here's a very special guest, but poop, Sunstone. Yeah. You know? And right on beat, comically, Amethyst runs up, and says, no, I need Steven. And so Steven pops out of the Rainbow Quartz fusion and runs up to Amethyst and is like, what is it, Amethyst? What do you need? And Amethyst looks at him and says, I just miss you, man. I haven't seen you in like 11, 11 minutes. 11 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is obviously a joke on the fact that A, Steven Universe episodes are usually about 11 minutes long, and B... Amethyst hasn't been on this episode at all, so... Yeah, I almost got through an entire episode's worth of notes without having to write the word Amethyst. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Um, But this is just another fourth wall breaking joke because, you know, everything is pulling at Steven's attention to the point where it's ridiculous. And now even the fact that Amethyst just misses him when she logically should not even be in this plot. And aside from jokingly, how do you miss somebody after 11 minutes? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, and then Steven just passes out. He just faints right out yeah this is the straw that breaks the camel's back because steven just cannot take it anymore he's had enough and almost like a light switch he just conks out and falls to the ground and then pearl and garnet come over to him and pearl's like holding him and he's like i shouldn't have overbooked my schedule like i shouldn't have had tried to do too much yeah it's his like final words yeah and then as the camera is pulling away from steven Garnet, like, looks up and just yells out, No! Yes, which is obviously a reference to the very famous, uh, long-exaggerated no given by Darth Vader at the end of Star Wars Episode Three. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, everything pauses. Little pause word in the corner, the pause symbol. Everything goes a little bit blurry. What's going on here? Oh, well, Sunstone just paused the video because it's now time to talk about the moral of this episode. Yes. So while this entire episode has been going out of its way to make little nods and cues and references to the concept of what a very special episode, quote unquote, is, now we're going to quite literally parody the section of a very special episode where there's that little 30 second in fact i haven't measured it i should go back and see if it is 30 seconds um 
30-second segment where we're going to run through the episode and directly call out the morals for you. Yeah, so Sunstone starts off saying, Hey kids, don't let this happen to you. Always try to manage your time wisely. You can't be everywhere at once. (laughs) Don't pull a Steven, am I right? And the camera pans back more and you see that Sunstone's standing on the same stage that's been used for all those Dove commercials. Yeah, the Crooniverse has worked together with the Dove Corporation in order to make a series of commercials, usually about like being comfortable in your own skin or appreciating what makes you unique. You can watch them all online. They're very short, like 10, 20 seconds long. Um, but the scene where those are shot in because they're all done from the perspective of being a filmed commercial so like all the gems are actually on like a filming studio you see that sunstone is now presently in that same film studio yeah and then it suddenly cuts to somewhere in the city where uh the gems that were having the safety geminar earlier are sitting at a table and Sunstone says, speaking of which, hey, shouldn't you kids be doing your guitar lessons? And then um, Ocean Jasper says, but we don't have any. And then Sunstone just whips the guitar to nowhere. Yeah, again, they're, they're like the avatar <laughs> of 90s cool. So yeah, they can just produce things like guitars and skateboards. God, I'm surprised it wasn't a keytar. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Garnet has used a keytar in the that past. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Um. But then Ocean Jasper's like, wowzers, thanks, Sunstone. Like, oh my god, it's just dripping. Yeah. It's dripping with this reference. <laughs> <laughs> we then cut to the beach where all the crystal gems are playing volleyball, and Sunstone, like, bops the ball up into the air as Pearl and Amethyst are waiting to receive it. And as the ball kind of just flies up into the air, Sunstone turns to the camera and, again, gives another little moral quip about being able to tell people, if you're too busy, like, it should be okay, your time is yours. And Pearl's like, who are you talking to? Calling attention to the fact that, again, Sunstone's breaking the fourth wall, which normally the characters can't do. But uh, almost as if being punished for questioning what Sunstone's doing, the volleyball comes down and smacks Pearl in the head before she can finish her question. Yeah. And then comes to another scene where Sunstone says, you know, and most importantly... Never jump off a cliff unless you're a trained professional. And this is like, they put this in there because at the end of the episode, all the other gems jumped off the cliff. Yeah. So I can almost remember that if one of these um, these kids shows from back in the day had the characters doing something that if you tried to do it, it would be dangerous, they would make sure to point it out and tell you not to do that thing. Yep. Unless you're a trained professional. Exactly. Um, And I just thought that this was a reference to the old parental statement. If all of your friends jumped off of a cliff, would you? Yeah, right. (laughs) So, you know, here's a literal manifestation of that happening. But as we see, like the the screen pans back and Sunstone is in the middle of a free fall off of a cliff and pulls a ripcord and a parachute bursts out from their back and the whole thing freeze frames and this very intense logo splashes on the screen that says safety zone starring sunstone and so god the whole thing just end scene yeah yeah the whole thing just doubles in on itself on how referential it is to this whole like psa moral story very special episode ending and it just comes to an a sudden stop like that's just the end of the episode I don't know. Wow. It feels so strange compared to any other episode in Steven Universe that I acknowledge anyway. Um, (laughs) 
And I think that might be part of the intention because these very special episodes, as they're called in sitcoms, also normally felt so tonally different than the rest of the series. Yeah, and especially shows of the time, for listeners who might just be used to, like, television shows as they are now, where everything is very serialized, and what happens in, you know, episode 5 carries over to episode 6, and Steven Universe is like that as well, for the most part. But back in the 90s, and going backwards, sitcoms and shows didn't do that. If something really major happened in one episode, that was just that episode. Then the very yeah. next episode, everything resets back to normal and we do something else. Yeah, it was called Returning to the Status Quo. And it was important because when shows would... The inevitable, like, uh, I don't want to call it graveyard, but the inevitable <laughs> goal, I guess, resting ground for television shows was syndication. Where they would just get played as repeats for God knows how long. Yeah, and the episodes would be played at random. Yeah, they could be played in literally any order. So if... You know, in episode five, some character gets like a broken leg or something. Well, that better be fixed before episode six, because if we randomly decide to play episode six before episode five in syndication, then everyone's just going to be confused. Yeah. Why is that guy in a cast? How does like, yeah. Um, And when sitcoms did have like cast changes or they brought on new characters as they got on in seasons and characters, especially children, would start to get older. Mm-hmm. Um. That was fine, but when it goes into syndication, you could be watching something from, like, season six, and then something from season two, and be like, whoa, what just happened here? Yeah, so it was always important for the show writers to make sure that whatever occurred, any... Anything that could possibly change the status quo of the episode had to be resolved because otherwise audiences would feel lost and confused. They'd lose interest in the show because they feel like, oh, I came in too late and now I don't know what's going on, so I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, the um, the earliest inklings of serialized storytelling started to form in the 90s mm-hmm. when they did a lot of the talking heads and uh, Hollywood and everything were like, oh, that's going to fail. If you can't get it syndicated, then no one's going to care and... You're not going to make any money with that and whatever. But in the modern era of binge-watching shows, it's a lot easier to have a serialized show because somebody will sit down and maybe watch two or three episodes at a time. Well, what they actually found, um, you know, a little bit of media history here, is that audiences appreciated the concept of a persistent storyline and finding out what would happen in the next episode actually more regularly kept audiences coming back. So instead of, you know, sitting down and watching an episode... And then knowing that everything's going to go back to normal, well, if I don't watch the episode tomorrow, it's not going to be a big deal. Uh I can just catch the episode that happens, you know, next week or whatever, and I won't miss anything. But now, if you missed an episode, you could get lost, and Mm -hmm. you don't want to be lost because all of your friends are going to be talking about what happened in the latest episode of XYZ Show. And you want to be in on that conversation, so you better have your butt in that seat at 7 o'clock Eastern six o'clock standard pacific time or whatever and central that's it and uh watching that or you're not going to be able to partake in that conversation anymore and what they found Mm -hmm. was more people were interested in returning to catch the next piece to follow the story that leaving those cliffhangers and getting people to come back to see how they resolved actually drove uh ratings much better than serialization and it was more important to get all of the audiences watching the show during its initial run 
And then later on, you could put it into serialization or you could put it onto reruns or whatever, and people would still watch it. So what they found was the rate at which it inhibited people from watching the episodes during syndication did not transcend the amount of viewers that they got by just showing more interesting storylines that had a contiguous story. Yeah, and uh, I've been on the bad end of that whole scenario because I discovered that everybody's talking about this particular show and they're like, hey, have you seen this show? It's really cool. It sounds like something that you would like. And I'm like, yeah, it does, but they're on like season four or five and that's a lot of TV to catch up on. Yeah, I mean, that's more or less an effect of the binge-watching thing, because now TV shows are released with the entire season at once, so you have to sit down and watch that entire season, or you're gonna miss out when the next season comes out, so there's a greater opportunity to fall behind more frequently. Yeah, yeah, but coming back to a very special episode, my initial impression was that this felt like two separate episodes that they might have been working on that they couldn't figure out how to flush out properly. Or maybe the episode count just got too restrictive and they had to do something. And so they decided to squash these two episodes into one. Because it seems like you could have had a fully fleshed out episode about here's Onion doing his Onion stuff with Rainbow Quartz 2.0 and maybe get a little bit more involved of a story in there. But maybe they were having a hard time figuring out how to make that click. And then here's Sunstone. And Sunstone as a character uh, for story writing is a bit problematic because everything that makes Sunstone what she is is all about this trope of the 1980s, 90s, PSA stuff. So what else do you do with this character? Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like somebody on the Crewniverse just really liked the concept of this goofy, fourth-wall-breaking, 90s-attitude-sporting character that is Sunstone. And so they tried to find a way to really double down on that character's quirk. And so they're like, oh, well, what if we had an episode where Steven does something and we constantly can call out all of the different ways at which like, oh, you shouldn't do this or be careful not to do that. Mm-hmm. And oh, let's just throw Rainbow 2.0 in there because that way we can have another episode with both of the new fusions. And why not throw Onion in there because we haven't had an Onion episode in a while. Like it felt like they had a bunch of loose ends or a bunch of like hovering ideas where they were like, uh, yeah, let's just combine all of this into one. <laughs> Yeah, we knew that Rainbow 2.0 and Sunstone had to come back in another episode because they were introduced in Change Your Mind for the very first time. And these are fusions that we had been waiting for ever since fusion was a thing. You know, we tried to figure out what all the different combinations would look like. And we finally get them. They're on screen for like, you know, 30 seconds to a minute and then they're gone. And we knew that they had to come back. But this felt like, like you were saying, like, oh man, we need to have an episode that brings these characters back. Okay, so here we go. Boop. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like it adds to the overall conversation of the series. It doesn't really move any character's arc, like their plot arc. It doesn't move the overall show's plot arc. I mean, if I had to reach, the only thing I could really say is that it's another demonstration of Steven trying to help everybody when he can't. Which is, again, the underlying theme here where Steven is starting to feel less and less like he understands who he is or his purpose because people are less and less frequently needing his help. 
So this is his efforts to extend that help permanently. Like I can help everybody and I'm going to just keep helping everybody even if it is detrimental to my own well-being. And that's the closest thing to like a beat in the overall Steven Universe future plot that I could map this onto. Mm -hmm. But there's just so much silliness and goofiness and referential jokey stuff that happens in this episode that really detracts and pulls away from that focus. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to complain too much because not every episode has to be laser focused on telling this very specific story about Steven Universe's future. Or super lore heavy or anything like that. Yeah. 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 But given that the past uh, five episodes were very, very focused on either tying up a loose end that we knew was still out there or uh, making us aware of Steven's current psychological and mental health issue that we would be addressing in this after series. Then this comes along and it almost feels like, hey, I know we've been going really hot and heavy on the like lore stuff, but we're going to take like an 11 minute break just to goof around for a little bit. And then we'll get back to being serious. Yeah. And they try to frame it as this has just been one big PSA video. Mm. So the whole point at the end when it pauses and you pan back and it's like, oh, it's been a video. So everything that's somewhat out of character or goofy or fourth wall breaking is like, oh, these are these characters reading from a script or something. Yeah, like how much of this episode actually happened for real and how much of this was a, you know, a script set up for Sunstone to use as part of the Geminar. Yeah, because things like Garnet's attitude towards future vision, as far as, like, teaching others about it, like I said, was kind of reversion. Mm-hmm. And the the other gems just blindly running off that cliff. Yeah. Like, that, there's no precedent for anything like that. Uh, I mean, Onion can just be Onion. Like, uh, <laughs> he's one of those characters so malleable, you just do whatever with him and it makes sense. And, you know, Garnet's, like, crowd of no at the end, like, that really sealed it for me. Like, it was right at the end where they were going to reveal it was a video. Yeah. I mean, at the point where they tilt their hand, it's obvious. But the the question becomes, was this whole episode just a staged story for moralistic teaching purposes? Or did it actually happen? And then at some point, we just transitioned into it being a fourth wall breaking moralistic lesson. But... We won't ever get an answer to that, so it's really, you know, up to the viewer to make a decision. (laughs) Yeah, so on the surface, was this episode just a relatively cheap way of getting Rainbow 2.0 and Sunstone their, like, second appearance? Possibly. Yeah. You know. And, you know, not to bring up a whole other topic of conversation, I'll just say that the only other instance where we've gotten to interact with Rainbow 2.0 and Sunstone is in the most recent Steven Universe video game on the Apple uh, Game Store. And mm. uh, I am still not very fond of how they were implemented in that game. That's all I'll uh. say. Uh, I feel like previous iterations of the game were better or used fusing as a function within the game better. But that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, that'll do it for today. Uh, As always, we are interested in knowing what you guys think about this episode, a very special episode. Uh, Did you think it was very special? Do you have any memories of these kind of episodes from sitcoms? What do you think about whether the events of this episode were real or just some staged story? You can let us know by contacting us uh, via email at gemtalkpodcast at gmail.com. 
or on social media. You can go to pretty much any social media website and look for Gem Talk. You can usually find us by the icon. All right, and that will do it for episode 123, a very special episode. Goodbye. Bye.